Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hello, and thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to be focusing on cyber resilience in an era of geopolitical risk. My name is Robbie O'Brien, and joining us today is internationally recognized GRC analyst and pundit at GRC 2020 Research, and longtime friend of mine, Michael Rasmussen. Hello, Michael. How are you today? I'm doing really good. It's a pleasure to be here, Robbie. Thanks, Michael. We have quite a grandiose topic to deal with today, and we could be accused of overreach except that we're living in exceptional times that are truly global in their impact. With inflationary challenges, fragile global supply chains, market shocks, and the war in Ukraine, it would be naive to think any organization can ignore the big picture. Michael, do you think risk has increased because of the macro situation? Oh, most definitely. And, and risk is multifaceted and it's coming at us from all directions and it cascades like a domino and how it intersects and what we were talking about cyber resilience today, but what might not seem like a cyber resilience risk downstream, it is because it's a complicated risk environment. It's interconnected. Absolutely. We're sort of headed towards one of two futures. Is it a Blade Runner future or a Star Trek future? Decisions that corporations make, as well as governments, individuals, sets us on the path to one of these two futures, whether it's to that disaster of Blade Runner, where it's a social and environmental, you know, dystopia or that more, you know, environmentally green and socially friendly future of Star Trek. Uh, We're headed towards one of those two futures. And we need to really think about how we approach uh, risk management, being able to see the complexities and intricacies of these different relationships because it cascades. What starts off with a health and safety risk like the COVID-19 cascades into IT security risk, the work from home environment, privacy risk, you know, what's being left on desks? Is there a clean desk policy in the home office? You know, what what, what can uh, roommates and spouses and children and visitors overhearing conversations on team calls and things? It's an interconnected risk environment. And and one risk cascades and intersects with other risks and cause them to grow and conflate. And it's quite challenging. This is what I call navigating chaos. Today's modern business is very chaotic. It's changing minute by minute and second by second. Regulations are changing. Risks are changing. The business itself is changing. Third-party relationships are changing. We can be very knowledgeable about the law and regulation for things like cyber resilience and IT security and privacy, but that doesn't make us compliant if that employee wasn't aware of that policy or wasn't trained on that policy. The challenge is we have to keep all this change in sync, which is very, very hard in the, in the modern organization. And that's navigating chaos. You know, the, the physicist Fridjof Kapra stated, the more we study the major problems of our time, the more we come to realize that they cannot be understood in isolation, that they're interconnected and interdependent. And policies, to me, are a critical foundation for trying to manage and navigate this chaos. You know, we need to be able to have policies to help us govern the organization. You know, I, I've worked with some organizations that call their policy management program their governance documents program, because policies help us have reliable business outcomes. They help us have reliable processes to achieve objectives, reliable behavior. 
They are governance documents to help us reliably achieve objectives, whether they're entity level objectives, division, department, process, project, or even asset level objectives. But policies are also risk documents. The very fact that we have a policy means that we have a risk. There wouldn't be a policy if there wasn't a risk. And that risk was significant enough that somebody had to sit behind a word processor and write a policy to address that risk. And of course, policies are also compliance documents, helping us maintain compliance to regulations. So in this era of GRC, what we call governance, risk management, and compliance, and the official definition of GRC is that GRC is a capability to reliably achieve objectives, address uncertainty, and act with integrity. The reliable achievement of objectives is the governance, addressing uncertainty is risk management. And, and in fact, ISO 31000 says that risk is the effect of uncertainty on objectives. And the compliance is active integrity. And policies and training and awareness and reporting issues on policies, all these are critically important to the modern organization that's trying to navigate chaos in this era of cyber resilience and geopolitical risk. You know, as we have to deal with world's tensions and economic risks, and we're seeing that all around us right now, as well as the war in Ukraine and its impact on supply chains and things and vendor relationships, and so much more. It's an interconnected risk environment. We need to make sure that we have the right policies in place, the training, the reporting on issues to be able to navigate the chaos of the world around us. Now, that brings me to policymanagementpro.com that I worked a lot in partnership with OSEG and developing the policy management capability model. And, and there it starts with the govern, where we define our roles and standards for policy management, who writes a policy, who, who owns the policy, what's the role of policy manager and then the, where the standards like the the meta policy or what we call the policy on writing policies style guides make sure that they're written properly but then the govern is governs the whole process then we have the, the develop where we author the policies we assess the need for a policy we author the policy the policy gets approved but the, that policy does no good if it's just out there and uh, nobody's aware of it. You have to communicate the policy. That means planning and delivering communication, engagement, and training on the policy. And, and then we move into the enforce, where we implement the policy. We respond to issues related to the policy. Those issues can be reported. They're responded to. But we manage exceptions related to the policy. But then we also want to improve our program over time, where we revise policies and improve our program. So one of the first things we were interacting with in discussion was, has policy management become more important given the hybrid working environment and the macro environment? It certainly has. Hybrid working, there's a lot of risk in it. Think about it. If I'm sitting in my home office and I look around me, my TV's connected to the internet, my speakers, my wall outlet, my blender in my kitchen is connected to the internet. I can program it with my iPhone. There's an app for it. I have no idea why I need to program my blender with my iPhone, but I can. Now, if any of these devices has some type of Trojan horse or backdoor installed, it can compromise the home office and my laptop and the information on it and connections I have. There, there's greater IT security risk in the hybrid home office working environment. And the thing is, Michael, two years ago, we fast forwarded 10 years and nobody thought that they would embrace it so quickly. So I don't think anybody had a massive amount of time to prepare for that change. And, and in that, I think policies was another thing that probably was left behind. I mean, nobody at the beginning of COVID said, let's write our policies about hybrid working first and then move people. What happened is they move people. And I think an awful lot of people are catching up in terms of rewriting what is their norms. 
Definitely. It's just not the IT security, but it's the privacy side too. Yes. As I was referring to a few minutes ago, it's, you know, is there a clean desk policy in the home office environment? How is that enforced? What can be overheard in conference calls, like team meetings and Zoom meetings that might have personal information related to it? Or those HR people working from home or those call center people working from home? Can roommates and spouses and partners and children and visitors overhear conversations that would breach GDPR issues and things? These are all significant concerns. But, but as you're saying, a lot of times we haven't thought about policies for the hybrid working environment and training around that. But a lot of times we haven't made, even made the policy management system conducive to a hybrid working environment. I remember going into COVID-19 and one insurance company I was, I was helping, they found out they had over 20 different policy portals in the organization and policies look different on different portals and different templates and some more supporting a remote home office environment that's not very beneficial. You need a good single portal for policies and policy should be in the same style and template all to help maintain that corporate culture. In the hybrid working environment, I'm just talking about a few. I mean, we're talking about cyber resilience today. So that, that includes IT security and privacy. But uh, there are others, things that uh, concern too, like conduct risk. People working from home, they're not in the corporate conference room and they think different rules apply. When they're on those Zoom meetings and team meetings, they might be crossing lines of harassment and discrimination and, and those HR-related policies because they don't understand that, you know, the same rules and conduct applies in the work-from-home environment as it does in the corporate environment. There's all sorts of challenges. And then you have the challenge of other HR policies. You know, how do you deal with moonlighting? Are people working two or three jobs in the home office? And there's a, at least one instance where I heard where, you know, some software developer you know, with collecting their salary, but they were like actually outsourcing all the coding to somebody else overseas and paying pennies on the dollar. And they weren't doing the work, but collecting the salary. <laughs> um, there's all sorts of challenges with this hybrid working environment. And one of those challenges is dealing with unauthorized and rogue policies. If the organization doesn't step up and define its hybrid remote working environment policies to deal with this hybrid work, Guess what? Different managers at different parts of the organization are going to sit behind their word processor and write documents and call them policies to communicate to their employees. And this could put a legal liability and exposure upon the organization. And we need to be careful about this. And so the organization needs to take control of policies and not let it be the Wild West where managers of different levels are all authoring policies in different ways that maybe the organization doesn't want. But culture is one of the greatest assets of an organization. A culture can be completely destroyed overnight with the wrong issues and incidents related to policies, but it can take years or even decades to repair culture. And we have to carefully nurture our culture, our ethical culture of what is right and wrong and how do we deal with that, our risk culture and what is appropriate risk and what's inappropriate risk and how do we take and manage risk, how do we control risk, and, and that can get into our cyber resilience and other policies there our overall governance culture and how we work together and collaborate together and work as a team and that gets into our workforce culture. I'm very involved with the Institute of Risk Management in London. I'm one of their global ambassadors of risk management and honorary life member. And a decade ago, we worked on a great document that's still very relevant today called Risk Culture Resources for Practitioners. And in that, we had the ABC model that applies so well to hybrid work culture today. The attitudes of those individuals in the, room, in the home office, the hybrid office, that shapes the behavior of the organization. That behavior then forms the culture, which then 
has a symbiotic relationship and further influences further attitudes and behavior. We have to carefully nurture and develop the culture in our organization. And that becomes even more critical with the hybrid work environment because people aren't always face-to-face. And how do we develop and nurture that culture in a distributed workforce that doesn't necessarily physically meet together that often? So one of the next things we wanted to cover was getting people to consume policy communications is difficult. What are the best ways of engaging users and why is it important? Well, I'll start off with documents, spreadsheets, and emails is the wrong way to engage users. It's what I call the inevitability of failure. You know, and, and you, you, you just can't manage policies and documents, spreadsheets, and emails. For one thing, they lack a good audit trail and system of record. We need good accountability, a singular portal. I mean, documents, spreadsheets, and emails is what, well, that's what's led to out-of-date policies, policies out there in file shares and SharePoint sites and different places that are, that are out-of-date, inconsistent, poorly written. It's the Wild West. We need to move beyond documents, spreadsheets, and emails to a strong portal to engage employees on policies. Policy engagement and communication is really about the front office, that first line engagement. You know, I can have all the right policies in the organization. I I mean, I, I can have the most beautifully crafted and worded policies, but that doesn't mean anything if the employees out there throughout the organization aren't aware of those policies. So it doesn't matter how well written they are with the most poetic policy corporate prose out there, and they read well, they look well, they're in a beautiful template. That means absolutely nothing if the employees aren't engaged on the policies, if they're not communicated, if they do not understand them. We find that again and again, Michael, it's it's the biggest challenge that our customers have is having gone through and invested and designed their policy and their training programs, the technology to put it out there. It's They're getting adoption rates, engagement rates, below 30%. And and it's so demoralizing. And so I think that engagement of those frontline people require the organization to go that extra yard to involve the executive people in pursuing this as a critical thing. And, And you're absolutely right. People have to have confidence that this is the one source of truth. It's not a plethora of different methods by which training or policy is disseminated. That's right. And so we need the right level of policy. That's one thing because we can have an area of under control where there's no guidance and support, but we can also have a, a place of over control where there's too much policy as well. So one of the key things in writing policies and communicating engaging employees on policies is what's the right amount of policies for the organization that we have the right balance to control the organization where we don't have under control or over control. But we also need a clear policy engagement communication plan. First off, we need to clearly define what's the goals. What are we trying to achieve with our communication and policy engagement and training plan for the policy overall? And and part of those goals then moves into the audience. We have different levels of audience. We have high-risk roles, moderate-risk roles, low-risk roles, even no-risk roles to certain policies. There are some people in the organization that might not even need to be aware of that policy because it doesn't apply to their job. Others are high-risk roles. I mean, you take something like a patient safety or patient privacy policy. You know, high-risk roles, every doctor and nurse in the hospital needs very detailed training on patient safety and patient privacy-related policies because it's part of their job that they're doing day in and day out. That call center representative, 
it doesn't need as much training on patient safety, but needs a lot of training on, on patient privacy because they're dealing with personal information day in and day out. When it comes to something like, like privacy, then in a healthcare environment, pretty much everybody, even somebody that's serving food in the lunch cafeteria at the hospital needs to understand patient privacy because they can overhear things in the lunch cafeteria line. You know, what are our different audience roles? How do we engage and provide the right depth of communication and training to those high-risk roles, moderate, low-risk roles? And then what are the resources that are needed? And, and how do we make it accessible? Do we have a singular portal for policies? What languages do we publish policies in? How do we measure policy engagement? What are the metrics around that? How do we measure policy understanding and training? How do we align our training programs? Because if we have you know, 100 policies or 200 policies, and I've worked with firms that have found that they've had over 18,000 policies in some environments, how do we align our training programs? Because we can't build a full communication training program necessarily for every policy. Sometimes we have to bring these together into a more unified training program across a range of policies as well. Or what are the stakeholders as well? And we build that communication plan and we need to clearly understand, you know, what policies need to just be distributed. Like here's an updated policy or a new policy. You need to be aware of it. And so I email out to whoever has that policy within their scope of field and say, hey, there's a new policy out here. You're, I need to make you aware of it. Other policies that are a little more high risk, we need to distribute and also get a certification, attestation, acknowledgement, read and understood. It has many terms. I'm not just making you aware of the policy, but you need to go out and read the policy and click this button or, or give us your signature that you read that policy. But then there's those policies that have higher risk that we need to train on them as well. So we need to distribute them. We need to get the acknowledgements and read and, read and understood. We also, they also have to go through training on that policy. All this means we need a very strong policy portal, a policy portal that is intuitive, adaptive, personal and accessible so that we're dealing with the era of cyber resilience and, and geopolitical risk. And there's a lot of change and things are very dynamic uh, in the environment and, and policies need to be kept updated. And so the employees need to be able to have that portal into the policy so that they can always find that most relevant policy when they need it. And if these policies are scattered in different file shares and SharePoint sites and you know, it's and like that one insurance company that had 20 different policy portals going into COVID-19. That doesn't work very well for the organization. We need a singular policy portal where all the policies can be found there. That portal can be engaged on the desktop, to the laptop, to the tablet, to the mobile device. And it's a very intuitive portal. It's adaptive to meet the needs of different roles and responsibilities. And in that context, it's personal and it's accessible and easy to use. So our, our next train of thought that we want to go into is that training is important to help people understand the import of what's required in a policy. How important is policy related training on big policies like code of ethics? One of the challenges we have, and I'm sounding like a little bit of a broken record, just repeating myself. But it's like that insurance company that I referenced a couple times already that had 20 different policy portals. We have confusing communications. We have too many people sending too many messages in too many different ways. And I think that technology hasn't helped because in the past, we just had emails, right? With emails, corporate spam coming from, from emails. But I think, again, since COVID, a lot of companies have implemented the likes of Teams and Slack. And so you now have parallel to email this sort of like constant flow of information coming from all the various departments. And I find that 
the likes of Slack and Teams are particularly difficult to navigate to find what is the right version of the policy or what training am I supposed to take today? Because I know I was notified about it a month ago, but where is it? So I actually think technology has improved in a lot of ways how we consume communications, but for something that is formal and and constructive like this, it it really has, uh, in my opinion, failed. That's very true. Very true. And so we need to understand how policies and training education work together because they are critical. You know, if if I have the policy out there, and if it's just the most beautifully crafted policy, but people aren't aware of it, then it does us no good. And But then, you know, maybe I've got that well-written policy and I've got a policy portal and people can access the policy. That's better, but we also need to come full circle to good training and education on the policy so that people understand how to apply that policy within their context and in different situations. And so we need robust training on policies. And and that's why when I talk about the market, I like like to talk about policy and training management together. And and how do we bring this together? I often hear the whole analogy of like Facebook, that our employees go out to Facebook. They can watch a YouTube video on Facebook. They don't have to click on a link, go out to YouTube, watch a video, come back to Facebook to comment on the video. You know, why do we have different, you know, policy and training systems that are disconnected? You know, how do we bring that integrated portal that brings policies? And here's the training for the policies right there in the portal all together. Organizations want that. Employees want that. That's what the millennial generation and Gen Z, that's what they expect from technology. But so many times organizations are so far behind in delivering that proper policy engagement in the organization. No, we need employee engagement. As you look at these talk bubbles, you know, receiving information through coordinated and defined channels rather than independent silos has allowed me to prioritize and focus my job. We have formalized the organization's common terms, communication channels, and consistently applied principles and methodologies. Sustaining effective and efficient governance, risk, and compliance processes is built into how we work. With ready access support, I see the big picture what is expected of me and what I need to do to get the job done and done right. The policies and procedures align with my job and written in a language I can understand consistently use terms for manual level detail, help me produce the expected results. Here are the resources you need to get the job done. My job includes compliance and risk management training as part of my normal job functions. The training and available guidance such as policies has increased my performance and productivity. I don't think anybody listening is going to say, we don't want these things. These are all really good things. They help build a positive culture and understanding around policies. We have a good integrated strategy that brings policies and training and overall awareness and engagement together cohesively. It means, as I was saying a few minutes ago, understanding different risk roles for policies as well. You can have a singular policy, like a bribery and corruption-related policy, or an IT security policy, an accounting policy, an HR policy, you know, there are high relevant roles, jobs that are in the crosshairs of a particular risk for a policy and conduct in the face of this risk will significantly impact the organization. Moderate risk roles, jobs facing the risk on a regular basis and are presenting a moderate level of impact to the organization. If they mishandle this risk, low relevance, where we have low likelihood of the job facing the risk and relatively low impact, of risk to the organization and no relevance. The risk is completely irrelevant. 
you know, we have a singular policy and there's a certain segment of our workforce that might be the high relevance roles for that policy, that moderate, medium, that low and no relevance. And we need to understand and as we build this engagement on these policies, particularly things like code of conduct and high, high level policies like that, you know, how do we engage? Well, what are the risks in, out there and how do we engage in overall understanding of these? And I think that people are very sensitive to that. They're very sensitive to getting policies or, or in particular getting training that is relevant to their role and, and they get upset if they're given. So if technical people get financial type training and if financial people get technical type training, they get upset and they feel that the whole system of communication from a corporate compliance perspective is broken and that begins a fatigue and that is the enemy, I think, of engagement. It is. On the opposite side of this, I mean, we can talk about the engagement, but on the opposite side, we need a good defensible record. What policy was communicated on what date and time? Who acknowledged that policy? What, what training was delivered? Did, did the employee actually go through the training? Was there some type of quiz or testing on their awareness of the training? What exceptions to the policy were in place? If that policy allows exceptions, were, were those exceptions approved and documented? What's critically important in today's highly regulated and highly litigious environment is to have a good system of record and audit trail of our policy interactions and communications. And you look at the, in the United States where I live, the Department of Justice guidelines, that's one of the things that clearly points out is, you know, that policy portal, how often was the policy accessed and who accessed that policy and having that record of these interactions, because that helps defend the organization when it gets in hot water and it will get in hot water. And I think that's one of the things we'll come to next. Yeah. <laughs> but we also need that engaging user experience. And I've already talked about this. But the, particularly the one that brings the policies and training together, that's good on the desktop, to the laptop, to the tablet, to the smartphone. But I mean, here you can see this policy and you have your corporate avatar on the left where you, know, you can sort of see yourself and you may be some element of gamification with the different like merit badges you get for complete yes. policy and training related tasks. But you have your insider trading policy. And, and the policy is right there, but you can hover over things, get definitions or interact on the policy. But the training is also right there embedded there that you can click on and go through it. You know, we need to bring this engaging user experience that brings policy engagement and training and awareness all together into a cohesive strategy in the organization. And that reminds me of the uh, saying that you know, the best laid plans of mice and men will fail. We could have a great policy management system. And we can have great engagement and training, but issues still will happen. And so with issue reporting within a mature organization, it needs to be front of mind for executives and goes a long way in minimizing the impact of an incident. So our question is, why do you feel so many large organizations still adopt a make-it-up-as-you-go-along approach to issue management? We need to clearly be able to manage the issues in, in the organization. With these issues, you know, most often are related to policies. It helps us improve our policies when we clearly manage those issues. And also it helps us mitigate and maintain the risk. When I look at issue reporting and case management process, I break it down into five stages. There's a case planning administration to help me understand what are the range of issue types and incidents, cases, and investigations. How do we categorize them? What subject matter experts are capable of managing and responding to what types of issues and cases? You know, the, the second one is the issue intake and triage. This can come from our hotlines, our web reporting systems, management reports, customer complaints systems and things. That's that issue intake where we become aware of an issue. And then we have the investigation process. 
what happened in this issue? How do we resolve this issue? How do we contain it? How do we respond to it? Is that overall investigation process? Well, what are the disciplinary actions for employees that didn't follow the policies that need to be followed through on? You know, from there, that investigation details all that happened and certain tasks are given that moves us into the remediation resolution to make sure that we don't keep falling into these same issues in the future and that we address things that uh, happened and, and close issues. Like if there's a vulnerability in a system, we're talking about cyber resilience today, uh, that that vulnerability gets patched and, and we um, keep up with our patches in the future. And then, then the fifth one is reporting analytics and metrics. But there's a relationship of all this that I want to get to. Starting in the lower left, those issues and incidents that we have, they can point to where our policies are failing or our training's failing. You know, are we hiring bad, wicked, evil people that want to do bad things? Maybe. But most often, what we have is a management problem. People weren't aware there's a policy. They weren't trained on the policy. Or some level of management says that policy doesn't apply when it actually does apply. Those issues and incidents, cases and investigations can tell us where policies and training on policies are breaking down to help, you know, increase our overall cyber resilience in this geopolitical risk era. You know, exceptions to policies. If you have an exception to your policy, like a password policy, maybe some IT system can't support that password policy. Exceptions happen, at least for some policies. There's some policies you should never have exceptions to, like your harassment or discrimination policies. You're not going to say, that executive can harass people, but uh, you can't. Yeah. Uh, that, that wouldn't be good. But some policies have exceptions. But if those exceptions aren't documented and the, the regulators or the external auditors are finding those exceptions, you know, that's all means that dig deeper, you're going to find more issues of noncompliance here. When we talk about issues, incidents, cases, investigation, we can also get to the policy help desk, however it's defined. And what questions are coming in on those policies? Are we getting a lot of questions on, uh, that, that relate to a policy that shows that it's ambiguous or lacks clarity? You know, th- those are all metrics and things that we can manage and respond to that can help us improve those policies. Because if we're getting a lot of questions on a policy, it might mean that that policy needs to be revised. And then we can look at metrics related to delivery and training on the policy and attestation and communication. You know, what level of engagement do we have on this policy? Do people understand it when they get quizzed on it? There's a lot of metrics here that help us improve our policies. And a lot of them stem out of the issues and incidents and cases and investigations to help us improve those policies, as well as that help desk where people are asking questions on the policies. Um, those could be issues too as related there to help us all improve our overall uh, not just cyber resilience, but a broader operational resilience in the organization. And that brings us to the worldwide supply chain problem. It has shown that the impact of geopolitical events on most organizations, what is a best practice approach to managing risk across an organization's web of relationships and suppliers? The, the English poet John Don said, no man is an island entire of himself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. You apply that to the modern organization today, and it's, no organization is an island entire of itself. Every organization is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. It is the extended enterprise of third-party relationships. You think about it, suppliers, vendors, outsourcers, service providers, contractors, consultants, temporary workers, brokers, agents, dealers, intermediaries, and more. Gosh, you know, the extended enterprise is the organization. If you're in your corporate office and you're, you're walking down the halls, you're sitting in the conference room, half the people you come across are not employees. 
They are the contractors, outsourcers, service providers, temporary workers. You know, the modern organization is not defined by traditional brick and mortar walls and traditional employees. It is the extended enterprise. And if you're going to look at things like cyber resilience in this highly geopolitical risk world, you know, we need to look at the extended enterprise and how do we engage third parties, those temporary workers, those contractors, the outsourcers, service providers, and more on policies as well. That's become absolutely critical. You also have all the, the data sharing that goes on as part and parcel of those relationships. It's like an extended family almost. And then within those relationships, you have their challenges with hybrid environments and their challenges with their own subcontractor network. So it, it actually has been compounded in the last six months, I believe. It certainly has. And so what are some basic components of managing this third-party risk? Well, first off is the understanding that the organization does not start and stop with traditional brick and mortar walls, and I'd say traditional employees. The modern organization is a complex web of business relationships and activities that cross these business boundaries. Then the organization should clearly define which policies, procedures, and controls cross business relationships and ensure that compliance is covered in the contracts and what's expected. And I'm seeing more and more that you, there's some type of annual attestation to supply chain and vendor code of conduct, privacy policies, things like that. What's happening in Europe now is that governments are starting to legislate for their own supply network, web portals where you have to go and deliver this information every year, provide your, your certificates of, of your the frameworks that you've attested to. I think that's the beginning of this becoming possibly regulated in some way. Most definitely. And, and you look at Germany's Corporations Due Diligence Act and, and, and the corresponding EU directive, and it's going to put a lot more momentum on that. From there, you want to have periodic communication of policies, starting with a code of conduct, like a supply chain or vendor code of conduct. And that should be done across all business relationships and where needed training should also be provided on that supply chain or vendor code of conduct. And then business partner relationships should undergo a minimum annual self-assessment process to attest to their compliance status to those governing policies, procedures, and controls. And the organization had to find audit processes to exercise those right to audit clauses we have in our contracts to validate compliance and extended business relationships, particularly the high-risk roles. One Fortune 100 firm I worked with, with 20,000 facilities in our global supply chain, ranked every facility in a red, yellow, green level. Red level facilities that had a lot of high risk to things like child labor, forced labor, and uh, health and safety issues, things like that. Those high risk facilities had to have an on site inspection or audit every year. Moderate risk facilities every two years, and low risk facilities were randomly sampled for on site inspections. But that sort of wraps up our questions and thoughts that we had. We talked about cyber resilience, but it is really broader operational resilience in this world. Cyber resilience is a significant part of operational resilience. You, you can't have operational resilience without cyber resilience. But I think we touched on things that got into a lot of conduct and areas that were more operational resilience as well. And so, but how do we be resilient in this geopolitical risk world? And, and the whole case that was made is that policies and training is absolutely critical there. In summary then, Michael, you had the situation pre-COVID, pre supply chain and, and Ukraine, and people were working towards it. I mean, we've been talking, we've been at this for over 10 years. It's a maturity model. There are some people that are immature, some people that have made great progress. But really, the solution to these macro problems is the same as it was before, which is you have to deal with the documentation of what you want your people to do, because it, it really isn't fair to expect people to follow the rules if, if you haven't 
provided that information in a, a form that is consumable by them in a form that is engaging by them over a, a, a medium that they can access really, really quickly and becomes a single point of truth, providing confidence. So I think we've covered a lot of things we've done in the past. I think policies is the key to it. And also, I, I think from, from my perspective, acknowledging these big challenges in the world within your training, referencing the fact that things have got more difficult for organizations because people aren't stupid. Everyone knows that the world has changed and, and there are these big challenges. And why would not, they not be represented within their workplace? Yeah. I mean, it is a chaotic world and things are changing all the time. And resilience is a key aspect of what we're talking about today. But, but one of the things I think we also need to talk about is agility. I mean, resilience yes. is the ability to recover from an event. And policies help us to be more resilient. They help contain and make us aware. But we also need to be agile because the world is changing. Geopolitical risk is changing. We need that horizon scanning and forward thinking to see how this can impact our policies. We might have the right policies today, but are they the right policies for tomorrow and what's developing? And we need that idea of agility to see what's developing in the world and, and prepare our policies ahead of time to address these geopolitical events as they develop. Well, we're almost out of time for today. So it just reminds me to thank Michael for throwing some great insights into a constantly evolving challenge. Thanks very much, Michael. It's my pleasure. And thank you guys for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you all next time. Bye for now.